0: Your cost of failure is small, and the only way to get these asymmetric gains is actually to participate in it early. There's no other way to do it but to participate. In that sense, you know, if you're in a calcified system, failure is something negative because you've already established the rules and you don't know how to play the game. But if you're in an emerging system, failure, that is experimenting. You have to do that. And like particularly in crypto it's just like early days of the web there's no other way to learn now you're not just learning how to design something you're learning how to take your design all the way through to interaction and strong ties of community creation you have all these new tools and infinite possibilities like you can't wait for people to figure out the playbooks to success otherwise the market's already set and you're not at the front of it anymore or will you ever get there
1: you are listening to one more question a podcast by the people of nice work One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing the best conversations we have had with significant builders, experts, and communicators. The people we encounter and work with as we go about helping you build brands people care about. Season four is based on our exploration of Web3, NFTs, and all things Metaverse. We're seeing an explosion of creativity and brands popping up all over this new space. Yet the rules seem to be different, and experimentation is not only expected, but welcome. Follow our conversations with the designers, the builders, and the visionaries shaping Web3 and the metaverse. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Josh Rosenthal, PhD. A first for our podcast... Josh is a former late medieval renaissance and reformation historian turned crypto first investor. A Fulbright recipient to the Sobon's interdisciplinary think tank, he's founded multiple successful startups before starting a crypto first founders fund, The Six Event, and backing that up with a crypto first family office, Nowell Ventures. He guest lectures at Harvard, Hopkins, and MIT, as well as being a keynote speaker. Josh explores how communities are using decentralized technology to reshape our world in what has become known as the crypto renaissance. We talk about the medieval renaissance and what are the parallels with what's happening today and the opportunities that are being unlocked by Web3, why this is a great time to own or build brands, and what are the opportunities that are represented by these technologies. Finally, that there's almost no downside to being one of the early experimenters in the space, but how detrimental it can be to be late to the party. Enjoy. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: No, likewise. I appreciate you having me and the work that you're doing on a a number of fronts. I think there's a massive unlock to be had in crypto with design studios and and other folks building brands and so far cryptos kind of failed to translate that in a meaningful way but in many ways you and your audience are probably the most important piece of this unlock it's not only massive opportunity for you but also for the general ecosystem which is is generative in a way mutually reinforcing in a way it hasn't been before so i'm excited to have the conversation
1: awesome i mean i fully agree i think for the industry to fully expand, it needs to include people who aren't on the inside, who aren't in the the know, and that's, I think, a lot of what we're trying to do here at Nice Work.
0: No, definitely. There's a these historical movements or transformations. They they tend to follow a, a path. It's not determinative, but it tends to follow along certain lines, and it starts out with people that are interested in the the technology, and then it moves along these different buckets until you get to people who are just interested in the features and the benefits. And so part of the job now is just translating this. Um, and this is very much a, a a historical phenomenon that we're just in the very early stages of. So this is exactly the right moment to have this conversation.
1: We just came back from New York, and my biggest takeaway is that the industry is grouping in terms of interests and not just NFT or web three, it's now generative arts, music, uh, collectibles, PFP. So it's already starting to formalize or segregate in a, in one way.
0: No, definitely. And there's a, there's, if, if this Renaissance follows the past, um, you 'll see this break out and kind of balkanized by different interests where the technology is just a means to the end, and so then that revolves around interests and and One of the other pieces that isn't often talked about but is probably more transformative is around the ownership of those interests, where you actually create a generative model in a way that we haven't seen before, and so that's one of the that's a little bit further out, but it'll start with tech and then move into interest and then crypto as a business model, which empowers like all these esoteric interests outside kind of TAM aggregation all the way along the the long tail. And so that's one of the reasons um, that's one of the reasons why I see it as a as a renaissance, not in terms of just hyperbole, but um, in terms of this epic, you know. Historical unlock, and so my background is as a historian, and so PhD in history, Fulbright Sorbonne Institute for Ant Studies. So really working through manuscripts at the transition from the Middle Ages to the Renaissance, where things were hierarchical, ownership was concentrated, individuals weren't, didn't have access to participate in that ownership fundamentally, and so with the the Renaissance, you know, it kind of gets into what drives history—not um, means of production or great men of ideas, but really communities using technology to organize around creation. And then images and concepts being created through those new technologies um, as a form of social coordination. And so last time we had you know an unlock on the financial side, which was fractionalized ownership. It was called double entry bookkeeping, which is really ledger based technology debit and credit. And that unlocked capital and access and the birth of proto-capitalism and all sorts of things. At the same time, we had the advent of mass communication at scale, which was the printing press. And we tend to think about that in terms of, you know, Bibles or, or long form, you know, uh, written text. But most of the things that you saw were images. They were woodcuts or copper etchings. It was the first time you'd seen art at scale and they had snappy taglines. And those things communicated different views, fundamentally an alternative to a hierarchical permissioned world every phase. And so now where your identity was assigned previously, you actually controlled it and could make choices. And so these things these things created what we call, looking back on it, as a renaissance, a recreation of society from technology to finance to art to identity to ownership at every conceivable level. It wasn't pleasant. It was highly volatile. Um, you know, their world was literally ending as it was being recreated. And so when I look at crypto and got into it, I said, well, wow, this looks like even the source code looks very close to what I'd seen before um, And then after I was a historian, I did a couple startups in Web2 writing the algorithms and sold one to an MIT startup and another um, around AI and natural language processing. So I had written some of those Web2 algorithms. And when I looked at crypto, I said, wow, this actually gives you visibility into what's going on. And fundamentally, it puts the locus of control and value creation in this generative context. Instead of zero-sum, where everything gets crammed up into, you know, TAM and FANG, people can take pieces out and actually create value from just this community coordination. And that was... That was that was really radical to see that. And just like at the last renaissance where that art was more than just art, it was actually, you can call it like semiotic construction where it was brand and identity and symbols of communal connection. Um, I see the same thing happening now just using, again, like last time, the technology is the mechanism to do that. And so... As a historian, when I look back, I say, hey, this has every hallmark of what happened at this last epic transformation where we unwound you know this kind of value um, and communication control and redistributed it to communities bubbling up around different interests. And then like we we're chatting about, the next phase is around actually creating you know business models and generative economics around that. So I think we're we're just at the beginning. It sounds like hyperbole, but the, <laughs> the historical rhymes are are really tight all the way down to the details of the analogies.
1: So do you think we are starting a a complete shift in how we perceive ownership and identity and participation and community? And where do you see this, if you take that historical thread, where do you see it ultimately ending up, um, you know, sort of what is the watermark or the high watermark of this renaissance?
0: Yeah, definitely. And just at its core, it just means a rebirth or recreation. I think we've already seen this. What's happened historically was we've gone down this false fork. We've seen, you know, whereas creation of communication was always tied to ownership, um, when we actually digitized things, we did it in a way where we divorced ownership from the creation, from the publication and the consumption, right? Creating things and owning the things themselves. We had to create these alternative business models, you know, scaling, charging, billable hours, et cetera, et cetera, because the value wasn't tied into it. It was this this weird divorce and this false fork. And part of that was because we just made, you know, kind of, so said differently, the internet and digital digital economy is, you know, we think of it as our de facto given, but it's only been 40, 50 years and a meaningful concept. And so that's just like a tick of the clock. And part of the reason we divorced ownership from creation and consumption and community participation was because we didn't have the technical rails to do that. Um, although we could communicate finance in a distributed way and even publish communication, we didn't have ownership. We didn't have property contract mechanisms, either for real IRL assets or for synthetic assets. And so now with crypto, this ledger-based technology, you can call them NFTs, but they're not just pictures of pixelated cats, they're actually strong property rights of ownership for physical and synthetic assets. And so that allows us to essentially re-weld, you know, ownership tied to participation. Once you do that, once individuals are in charge of their ownership, they're no longer handing it over to someone for authentication or credentials. Once creators actually persist that ownership and they can communicate with communities directly without mediation, that opens up, you know, all all sorts of generative business models. And these kind of historical transformations tend to unfold in two Two phases. The first is the same thing as what we'd seen before, but better, faster, cheaper. And then the second phase is, you know, the unimaginable, the things that wouldn't have otherwise been possible without these technological rails. And so for kind of consumers and studio people and people creating brands, you know, in web two, the reason I mentioned a bit of that background um, was just from firsthand experience, the value of what you created, your company or your community was really in the code, right? Um, that was uh, everything else. You essentially handed over identity and participation to people who would harvest that through these algorithms. Um, but you've essentially handed over your identity, your social graph. You can't get that back or re it. And so now with with being able to persist that as ownership, that opens up all sorts of all sorts of possibilities that wouldn't have been otherwise possible in a, in a generative function, not just taking from TAM, where you know throughout the 90s it's been about aggregating markets and monopoly or duopoly, but this actually gives business models for all sorts of esoteric interests um, along the long tail of the of the distribution curve and part of that is because the value isn't in the code the code for most web3 or crypto is forkable which means imagine if you could cut and paste Google's source code right like that's crazy but that's how crypto works you know uniswap has code sushi swap it's not meeting community demands sushi swap creates a new product uniswap comes back and meets those demands and so now the value is in the community the content the brand the association and so that's where you know, essentially, you know, you and your audience have kind of been laboring in this medieval world where you work and, you you know, someone else is harvesting the fruits of your work, right? It's not, yeah, you can maybe buy their stock, but it's not directly coupled. And so where I see this going is a redistribution of ownership, a decentralization of not just technology, but also value aggregation and finally having business models that support these kind of weird esoteric interests or odd ideas, which historically are the most interesting. You don't need, you know, you don't need to post and have 10 million people like it and get $1.76 from YouTube and zero from Twitter. Now all of a sudden you can have a viable business around not just 10,000 people or 1,000 people, but even 100 people. And you as a consumer now, can, it's more fluid. You can participate like through that as well, through things like data DAOs and what have you. You don't hand over your entity. You're your own gatekeeper. And so you can monetize your own data, which sounds like esoteric, but that's how the Web2 economy works, that data is liquid gold. And so now you're creating generation on the creators and their community and the technical rails to make it mutually reinforcing for the first time. So I see a, a broad unwinding of you know hierarchical aggregation from value to communication gating, not just at the platform, but the algorithms of which you're not typically aware that are kind of tamped down until you pay back for that to like business models that allow esoteric ideas and brands to be financially viable. And like all that is based around brand and community construction instead of just code, because now it's truly open source and composable. So, you know, back to the earlier part of the discussion, we haven't really done it. Part of it is we haven't done a good job of explaining this, um, but part of it is we're just not there yet. We're only now in this phase where we're starting to unlock that.
1: I like in there that companies and brands and creators, it's now more important to have a strong identity and an idea and who you are because, like you say, your your audience could be five people. That could be enough to support you. So, what do you stand for and what do you mean to those five people? It doesn't have to be Spotify, 400 million streams in order to make a decent living. You can kind of fractionalize it down to a much smaller piece, which for me unlocks more variation, and variation will lead to iteration and innovation that we would never ever see in a more generalized economy no
0: so well said absolutely and if you're it so it empowers this new you know economic uh models for kind of smaller community interests and that allows you very specific functions of brand not just catering to kind of lowest common denominator but being able to to, uh, to create differentiation and then with an economic infrastructure. But also if you're into this, this allows like new design space, right? It's just like, you know, Web2 where you can create a site or, you know, as you move from kind of Word to Excel and then into PowerPoint and then into graphic construction, it literally, on one hand, it democratizes the ability to create, but for the people who are into it and good at it, it very much like renews your vocation, like your calling, what do you like and what are you good at? You can pursue those things. Um, throughout like a new design space and what i mean by that is is previously you have a model where you basically create something and then someone else is in the middle monetizing it for you and they give you a fraction of that right and so that that creates this very static idea where you're trying to create communities by influence and influence them to take a side or an orthogonal action, right? I put out some content, I don't really monetize that, I have to monetize it through billable hours or through a newsletter or through a gate. So then I try to go through the sales funnel and X percent see it, X percent take action one, Y percent take action two, and it all f- flows out. So someone else is harvesting the fruits, but also my design kind of, it's not fun, right? I'm trying to influence people to do things through these secondary means and proxies. And these tools literally allow you to not only have direct economic you know, access to your community in a generative way, but to design around direct actions. You can actually program those things. That's what we mean by smart contracts. So the toolkit is, I mean, if you suspend disbelief and really func- focus on NFTs as these bi-directional doorways that you know essentially link things and actions in the real world to digital assets and like images and attributes and content then all of a sudden you can do a number of different things because you can no one else is mediating not only the value but the data and the communication like wallet to wallet communication tied to smart contracts and so that means you can say hey who are i've created music or i've created content i can I can not only participate in decentralized governance and allow people to interact and change to whatever degree I want to, like to influence the outcomes. But I can do that in different sophisticated ways. We're only in the early days of governance right now, where you know it's one token, one vote. We're starting to see quadratic voting, or you can imagine proof of not just attendance but expertise and experience and history. Were you one of the first five people who supported this? Have you contributed to this? Like you now have the technical rails to create those micro actions to to experiment with different forms of community construction and that just none of that was possible before.
1: I also think in the beginning of all of these things, people mimic what happened before. It's the natural way. You're like, okay, well, let's just do a music album, but on the blockchain. But you take that five generations forward and there's going to be things that none of us ever even thought were possible. Um, And yet people are going to push into those spaces and innovate into those spaces. And then it'll become normal. And we'll all be like, oh, this is how it always was. But it wasn't necessarily.
0: No, I mean, if you can imagine, um, I mean, if you can imagine, so that stuff is actually happening right now. Right now it's early. So our UI and UX isn't great. It's kind of difficult, just like it was in the early days of, you know, the web, but those things are being built and actually exist in little pieces today. And that from like a design perspective, if you want to build a brand and create ties of community, you don't have to influence and do it by proxy. You now have a toolkit, depending upon how deep you want to go into it. And more and more of this is being available as, you know, even no coding, right? You can have different, you know, there's a great deal of like no coding coming up. So you don't have to like actually code something. You can hit old blocks and just publish instantly or, Or things along those lines. And so, like, that literally allows you to create these strong ties of community directly, individual to individual, creator to participant. And what happened at the Renaissance was the, the distinction between creator and patron, it became more fluid, right? There are all these different permutations. Am I a distributor? Am I a disseminator? Do I have on-chain providence? that I actually co-create? Did I put a mark in it? And so now you can sort of see things like this. Previously we did this in this false fork where you'd create content or an album, someone would re- remix it, put it up on SoundCloud, then it'd get taken down, or they'd you know do fan fiction, it's on some esoteric site that nobody's ever seen. But now if you choose to engage with that in your brand and community construction, you can actually bring them into the creative process through these, you know, economic and like social coordination ties through a DAO or various models through tokens and if you choose to you can actually not only create strong ties of community with ownership but also like shift the locus of creation into a much more of a conversation or a dialogue instead of just top down and for consumers who are interested in your brand if you love something so much and you're you're doing harry potter fiction or what have you like the next studio may be you know not just hollywood gatekeeping but maybe shared ownership through that community construction and so then how you build those ties like at its core if you want to build a community through social coordination the tools historically have always been you know can you communicate value previously had to go through rails and had a mediator and can you communicate ideas and like now that we have those two things tied to ownership yeah if i'm an artist I can see everyone who's listening to my album, right? I can't do that on Spotify. I can talk to those people. I get one conversation per year on Spotify blinded, right? I can see where they are. Oh, they're in Johannesburg. I didn't know that. Maybe I do a concert there or what have you. I can say, hey, if I fractionalize ownership and just give it away even, I can say, let me find the people who have participated in this community from day one, right? I have proof of like, History around that, or if someone's doing a really interesting remix, I can actually put that end to the new album, or put that into my studio and like monetize that. So now creation becomes very much a dialogue from top down and bottom up, and like as a community, you know, building a brand, you you not only have a you know, one access, now you have two, like, what are your values? And, and how do you choose to participate in the community around that? It's a, it's a really interesting design space. And to your core point, yeah, first phase, we're just going to see the same thing, right? It's like the classic, you know, Bill Gates and David Letterman, what can I do on the internet? I can already listen to the radio, I can already watch a show. And then in the second unfold, you start to see these things and designers, brand builders, community constructors, like you folks are at the heart of that space for the next unlock.
1: And that's exciting to hear from, from an outside source. So we're on the right path. <laughs> no, it's unfortunate. It's like you say crypto
0: and everybody's like, okay, spot trading and coins. Like these transformative revolutions, they always start with finance because that's where the value is. Then you move into art and identity because you're establishing values and coordination Then that kind of balkanizes. Then you harden that through like mechanisms for work. From corporations to DAOs, and then there's education and propagation, and then finally, it's it's as a business model that empowers anything in real world or synthetic through this generative function. And and to your overarching point, then you don't even call it crypto; it just becomes how you do things, right? Just like there aren't internet companies anymore, internet funds; it just doesn't exist. This is how the world works. So I think you're absolutely on the right path, and like honestly. Like really thinking through, if you had infinite capabilities and you could incentivize direct actions and build these strong ties and it was all visible, like how would you create a brand? How would you create a, a community? It's it's very interesting. Now you can not only do values, but like the mechanisms of the dialogue back and forth is like super fascinating.
1: And product design, what does that look like when you're getting immediate direct participation feedback? Uh, commentary, fractionalized ownership, creativity from multiple sources. I think it, it becomes uh, almost difficult to understand. And I think <laughs> uh, coming it's back true. to my point of knowing who you are as a company, as a brand, as a product, I think this becomes even more important when you, open access and allow anyone to participate you need a filter something to pull you back so that it doesn't just get pulled anywhere that the community decides it needs to to go
0: no you're absolutely right it forces you in the sense that it forces you to establish like not just your, your brand and your identity and your values, but also like your design decisions, your axioms, like, how are you going to think about this? And to your point in infinite possibilities and infinite design spaces with, you know, suspend disbelief and say an infinite toolbox, like, how do you want to go about that? And what decisions are you willing to, are you willing to trade? Um, But the nice thing is you're, you're in control of this, right? Where previously you worked for billable hours, a client says something, you do it. Like now you can choose, you essentially just like, the renaissance made everyone an entrepreneur, a capitalist, right? You're owning your own land. So even if you're farming, you're still responsible for it now for the first time. So too, all of these things that you're almost, you know, doing, you know, through kind of billable tickets. Now you you have decisions about not values, design, construction, but also how you, you the economic risks you take, right? With these new tools, you can participate in fractionalized ownership of the product you can create. You can choose to participate in downstream revenue, right? And so like these, now you can say, hey, do I want... All of it up front, or do I want to hold part of it back for downstream revenue over time? Because I think this my work will accrue value over time. Like now, it's it's great you have this you know these sovereignty mechanisms, but it also forces you to think about you know your values, where you draw lines, the decisions you make, and the trade offs. But also, so too the uh, the what you what you really want to be doing, and what bets you're willing to make on yourself and your community. Um, and you have kind of fractional ways of doing that, so you don't have to go all in and get crazy. But I think that's something that that the design community and, um, and brand builders haven't been aware of to, to this point. You can literally, you know, previously, you know, that was looked down upon from venture capital or what have you. Those are lifestyle businesses because they're billable hours, right? And like now all of a sudden, if you say no, you can persist ownership. You can create a thousand NFTs and keep 10 of them. You can, you know, uh, carve out downstream rights on this platform. Now all of a sudden, now some things change in terms of like available upside because you're generating it from the community. So in some sense, like you have not only new design powers, but new economic superpowers and all of this, to your point really forces you to clarify who you are and what you're about as a company.
1: I think it's also uh, it kind of forces the, the designers and the creators to make bold choices because if you're a music maker and Sony gives you a million dollars to make an album and it doesn't work, you're like, oh, I tried. Like, I'll make another album. If you're getting paid nothing and it's all about the su- success of the thing you're creating, you approach it in a completely different or new way. And I think also as visual designers, brand designers, you do all the work and then you give it to the client to actually put it into the world. It's like, I'm done. I've done my bits, but now it's like, okay, we need to carry this over that line into the world, connected to human beings, get them to form an emotional connection, get them to perform whatever action, a purchase, a subscription, a sign up, a wallet connection, and then you unlock value, but you do it on a much more profitable or potentially profitable level
0: yeah yeah, no, it definitely it, it it extends the it extends what one means even by the concept of brand and community construction all the way from just handing it off. I mean the friction is always you give it to the client and the client you know whose fault is it the campaign didn't work oh you didn't use this you didn't use this maybe the mediators maybe they algorithmically tamp things down subtly to get you to pay more you have no visibility into any of this and so now you have visibility all the way along the path right and so it, it becomes it becomes really interesting and for the community member now all of a sudden like my brand affinity like means something more than just like value identity right and so like if I if I'm, if I'm, especially if I have a wallet and I have an NFT representing a purchase I made and I go to another system, which allows me for a transaction, it can give me access to something I wouldn't otherwise have had, or it can give me a discount. It's like, imagine if you're owning, if you're accruing Apple stock as you're purchasing a phone, and then because you purchased the first generation of the iPhone, therefore you get access to different pieces in the app store. You really, now all of a sudden, like design explodes and brand it has to continue throughout this series of actions, but also it makes these really strong ties for community members. It's it's a it's like now you're working with plutonium, right? Like it, it's it's craziness.
1: But I, I love that. Also, the behavior you can go. This is the behavior that builds us the most. And I now have a way of identifying that and therefore can design, reward, incentive, excitement, utility, access, all these things on top of that. Oh, you have bought an iPhone every year for the last 20 years. You know, here's a special color that only you can get. Nobody else can. Or here is uh, access to come to our design lab and feedback on the product before it it gets to the market. And you're not just a random human. You're someone who's been through 20 product cycles and have a deep understanding of what we're doing.
0: No, it, it gives you just greater specificity to try to do product design, right? In one sense, it gives you immediate market feedback, like I was saying on some of those the systems, you know, the community demands something on Uniswap. Uniswap doesn't like it. Sushi Swap forks it. Everybody migrates over there. But then Uniswap says, "Okay, guys, I guess we'll give it to you." And then everybody migrates back. The brand was still that strong that people wanted it. There's just a feature, a function that they needed to create, right? And so that's a uh, that like allows you not just to do wisdom of the crowd things where it's like Gladwell and there's so many jelly beans and everybody at the fair can count it up, but where you can say, "No, no." These are my super users, and I don't have to incentivize them. I can make them part of my product development, right? I can actually pull them into governance and product design, and and now not just anyone walking by at a fair, but like to your point, people that have done this twenty times, right? Or the people that that uh, you know high end talent that may not want to work in like a traditional like corporation. I can actually incentivize that talent through there as well, and so now I get like really interesting design decisions. And so right now we're in this embryonic state where. Anything's possible. We try these completely decentralized experiments, which are chaotic. We know that top-down tends to have better UI, UX until it gets too big and it's like ossifies. And so you're starting to see these bottom-up, top-down, like taxonomy, folksonomy, ontology, tie it together with things like there's different studio projects, like StoryDow is a great example, where they say, we can't just do fan fiction, it needs an architect to basically build the skeleton of this, someone you know, high-end that would have come out of this. But instead of asking for you know, a content curator or, or catching a showrunner on a good day, you can actually do the creation and fill in the bones on this. And so you're seeing different models of creation that weren't possible before. Instead of just feedback group or bottom-up chaos or as telling you what you want to get um it opens up new ways of creating products and new ways of building brands with these like strong identity ties for the consumers themselves and like redistributing that like it gets also for clients and companies who are thinking how best is it to do product development like actually having not just a feed, like, why would I trust a feedback group, right? Like, it's always like the classic, like polling (laughs) problem, like what I say I'm going to do versus what I actually do behind the scenes, right? Well, if I'm tied in as part of that community with economic incentive, now, now it means something. I'm really in that, that voting booth. What am I really going to do? You now have those tools as a designer, which is, which is on one hand, you know, scary for kind of, you know, corporations and what have you. But on the other hand, to say, imagine getting like meaningful market feedback and actually instead of paying people to influence and running campaigns being able to work with them directly to generate demand and usage you can even play the long game you don't have to go all in and just say i get zero you can fractionalize this and say this is what i need and what i want to do to pay expenses i'm carving back part of this to kind of play a long game. I could even set up these design bombs, if you will, to say, after so many years, these things unlock and do it conditionally, where only when I reach these levels that the community does this, you you can do some really interesting coordination games in that as well.
1: Now, I'd like for you to do my job for me, because I'm fundamentally (laughs) a lazy person. We spend a lot of our time trying to convince brands to play in this space. And, you know, kind of the lesson of the Medici family, I think, is a great example. And Snoop Dogg has already started Cosmo de Medici and has one of the biggest art collections in the space. Could you share that story and the lesson that it might sort of resonate with uh, people who own or operate brands? Yeah,
0: it's really, it's always, it's like classic innovators dilemma, right? Like if you're, if you're one of the monopol if you're a participant in the monopoly or the duopoly that dominates everything, then it's very difficult for you to kind of bet against yourself. Most of the creation, the meaningful creation, you know, textbook hasn't come from within your entity. It's come from merger and acquisition, right? That's always how it works out. You know, Google did one thing and then basically they acquired their way into other things from Android to mobile. Same thing with Apple if you walk through it. And so it unlocks for mega brands in terms of monopoly and duopoly. It allows you to do M&A without the risk. You can actually like hedge it basically. And then for anyone else who's not at that dominant position, it's an asymmetric bet. It's like this beautiful Pascalian wager. You can experiment in this. And if it's wrong, you've run a poor campaign, you may have learned some technology, you met some interesting people, you wasted a little bit of time, but if it's right, like just looking historically like when these new types of technologies unlock and i don't mean a better faster cheaper database i don't mean you know an algorithm that improves my reach 0001% 0, 0, 0, it it like a new way to communicate value and to create construction between my participants and my community and myself it it is asymmetric returns, right? Like historically the Medici were nobodies. They're out in the middle of nowhere. It came out of a south of France. There's a clerk in Nîmes that was playing around. And within one generation, they we say, Oh, the Medici now, within one generation they took the papal seat and the throne of France, right? It's just so asymmetric if you're an early adopter of that before anyone else. And it's not too early. You read these notices, this brand's doing this and this brand's doing that. It's like we're so small and so early. You have you now is the the time to to do that and to establish. Um, And so if you're a brand, it really allows you to say, what if I didn't have to use all these proxies, right? Like what if I didn't have to go through advertising campaigns and use analytics and argue with my analysts and the salespeople and blah, blah, blah. What if instead of trying to influence people, I could actually directly interact with them and incentivize them not only to help me create products but to help generate this idea of generative creation it's like we say it but we don't really think about it right and like the medieval world it was zero sum it was literally i in order for me to get something i have to take from somebody else right and in some sense that's a bit of the unwinding of web 2 you'll see facebook and google and roll along just like you know ibm and does today and these legacy things but like if you want the next massive unlock of you know creation like web two is fang today that that dominates essentially fang is the like nasdaq index right it's ridiculous and so that was unlocked through early adoption and participants in that and that's a that was with a false fork that was just with publication where brands weren't able to establish these strong ties of community imagine that at a magnitude of order larger and like the way it works, just like you as a studio are an investor in yourself, you as a brand are now an investor, you're now a VC in technology, whether you like it or not, like if you're not participating, someone else is arbitraging on that on your behalf, and you're, you're done. Like if you look at the analytics from like amount of companies and turnover, average company lifespan, 80 years, 20 years, five years, two years now. And so the way to avoid that is actually economic generation through these asymmetric bets. And so you kind of can't, afford not to participate in that. Um, and just if nothing else, if you don't believe any of it, just like suspend your disbelief and imagine if you actually can create strong ties of community through direct actions and can get rid of all this mediation, which is all your op right? right? Like what does that do to your EBITDA? It radically transforms it if you have to explain it to a CFO. Is that helpful? Is that what you're after?
1: <laughs> That's totally what I'm after. I mean, I think it's also... The cost of failure right now is marginal. So you start a project, you do a collaboration, it doesn't sell in a year's time, nobody remembers. Not even in three months' time, nobody even remembers. But the potential gain is just exponential compared to what could have happened. I mean, Yuga Labs didn't exist what, 14 months ago, 15 months ago. It's now a multi-billion dollar company and they came up with a not groundbreaking idea. They just did it early and they were in the right place at the right time and they followed it on with multiple successful iterations on top of what was ostensibly luck. And and I think that's the opportunity that sits in front of all the companies that are not participating right now.
0: No, I, I, absolutely. It's a, your cost of failure is small, and the only way to get these asymmetric gains is actually to participate in it early. There's no other way to do it but to participate. In that sense, you know, if you're in a calcified system, failure is something negative because you've already established the rules and you don't know how to play the game. But if you're in an emerging system, failure... That is experimenting. You have to do that. And like, particularly in crypto, it's just like early days of the web. There's no other way to learn. Now you're not just learning how to design something. You're learning how to take your design all the way through to interaction and strong ties of community creation. You have all these new tools and infinite possibilities. Like you can't, wait for people to figure out the playbooks to success otherwise the market's already set and you're not at the front of it um, anymore or will you ever get there and also the only way you do that is by learning it by figuring out these unintended consequences it's a it's a different mindset where you're experimenting and these failures are necessary and yeah there's public piling on but to your point people have short memories because you're experimenting in this you're experimenting in this together there's no other way to learn it but to get through it and i would say also to them this is. So we run a couple funds and fund of funds have pretty good visibility into the crypto space with like very, very well known names from Trad Silicon Valley to kind of leading edge folks. And I will tell you, there is a massive bottleneck on people in the space who can design. And so people who are familiar with like Web3 and shops and being able to do this, you're starting to get a lot of cruft out there. But the power of having done this already yourself, even as a shop, much less as a brand is exponential. It's like every second today is worth, you know, 10,000 seconds, you know, tomorrow, basically, same as every dollar today. And so if you actually have a relationship with someone who knows how to do this, you're used to the old Web2 world where that's a commodity and everyone can do it. And that's available to you at any time. That isn't the case today. So if you have someone who knows what you're doing, you should probably work with them. Almost if you're a CFO, consider it a call option on that expertise. Right? You do it. It fails. You learn. That's great. Maybe it works. You go asymmetric, but you have locked up that that expertise as uh, almost with a with a retainer, and that. That's not to be underestimated. It's like having a, a, in the Web2 world, it's like having a LAMP stack engineer in the early days, right? It's like, what's that worth to you versus someone playing around with Cobalt? And like the great constraint, you're not used to that because you're used to thinking of like technology as the value creator, but it's actually brands and studios and agencies that can create community through the technology is where the value is accruing today. And so that actually becomes the locus that you want to lock up and participate. So that'd be the other way I'd, I'd try to explain it to them. I don't know if that jives with your experience, but that's at least what we're seeing in the market on the investment side.
1: Yeah. So we've worked on five projects now, like two of them were complete failures, but I've been doing this now for 25 years. I haven't learned as much as I have in the last sort of 12 months, because all of a sudden you're like, okay contracting. Okay, now how does the rights flow? Okay, which pieces of the rights are we handing over? Okay, let's think about trade tables. Let's think about rarity. Let's think about desire creation. Let's put a brand on top of all of that. Let's think about a launch campaign. Okay, now we launched. What do we do now that we're in the market? What's next? There's just so many places that you need to be uh, and every project is like doing an mba you you sort of learn infinite amounts in a short period no it's crazy and
0: also if the brands have access to you like doing five cycles of something in crypto i can't it's this is probably the most difficult thing to communicate it's every cycle is it's an mba it's also the people who are the hardcore flat out experts who are creating billions out of nothing in terms of like brand equity, but also relationship. These are people who have two cycles, one cycle, three cycles, right? Like you as a client participating in this and getting the first cycle under your belt. This is, this is a speed race to do that. It's like, time doesn't work normally it's a those you don't get another chance to do that early adoption cycle to figure it out much less to work with people who have been able to do that so it's odd when you look at i mean even on the institutional side you look at the folks doing this they're as they're moving out of like traditional into into digital assets there it's really if they have two cycles they're golden right and so like you as a brand saying hmm you're starting to see leaders emerge you have to participate now and yeah it's volatile that usually like freaks us out because we're used to like artificial like stability right like we have in the u.s stock market goes up x amount every year you can measure the thing because you're juicing it basically so volatility is a bug not a feature when there's something new and it's open where you get these asymmetric gains in terms of your your brand and your audience and participation just owning the space like the medici for the next 500 years you the volatility is is a feature, not a bug. It's a mark that something substantial and transformative is happening. It, when things like this fail, they fail through stasis and ossification. Volatility is usually a measure of something fundamentally transformative is happening, and you want to participate in this. After the first cycle or two, when there's enough like core infrastructure where it's real, but the UI UX still isn't great, so it provides a moat, and you go through a value dip. Like that is that is the mark when you want to start your engines, right? Like you can either beat a market with your brand, not just with investing by being like, by being way ahead of everybody or betting against it. And like, this is like such so such small chips to put in the table, like in terms of a historic opportunity. It's just, it's crazy. This will be one of the things you look back on and say, oh man, everybody says I could have bought Apple for you know a dollar a share. Yeah, you could have. You could also buy yourself for a dollar a share right now by participating in this. Are you willing to make that trade? <laughs>
1: Uh, I love that. I'm gonna buy myself for a dollar a share. So <laughs> no. so I mean just closing this whole conversation out. You you're in a very interesting space. You've sort of come from a history background. You've played successfully in web two you now participate personally as a family office and as a fund in all things kind of web three what excites you personally the most about playing in this space and all of the risks rewards and and all things in between
0: yeah i mean in some sense there's like a base answer where it's like i don't have to go through all these proxies of mediation if i have a brand and if i want to create a community have people buy a product or participate i can actually do that directly now with this new toolbox right like that's that's unbelievable it really it's a, it's like a meritocracy right so it might be scary for some folks but if you believe in yourself it's it's complete craziness to be able to do that and then i can do that through like a buy, a two way door between the synthetic and the real, right? And so previously where like <laughs> gaming or buying a car would be very different assets, we'd be like Victorians sitting in a, a mansion be like, this is my eating parlor and this is my talking part These are all separate rooms. Now I can provide corridors and passages through those, right? So I buy a new Ford Bronco and I I have the thing in the game and that gives me both sides of it, right? That are otherwise impossible to get. That That opens up like craziness in terms of space. And so... What I think is the real unfold or what's very exciting to me are those bi directional doorways where digital brands can can take down market leaders through social coordination, like using this incentivized coordination like like proof of physical work and physical actions right like there's something called helium that basically is like right now it's just i o t but they're launching five G and it's taken down you know, telco, Verizon, AT&T globally, right? And like forcing them, because I can can coordinate a million people to do something on hardware, right? Like that's like craziness. That's a cold start problem on physical infrastructure that was unimaginable. So if I'm a brand in the physical space, I might not just think of crypto as like spot trading and pixelated cats, but like, how do I coordinate a million people, not only to buy hardware, but to run it persistently and do different actions. And now I have a community with strong ties. What else do I want to do with those? That's crazy. And then from the the digital side of that, to be able to say, hey, what, how can I link that to not just digital strategy to do the physical thing, but what if I have generations on both sides, the IRL and the synthetic, and they're mutually reinforcing That's like where I think we'll see the division of just like when you say Amazon, people think about the store, but the profit comes from AWS. Like, I think we'll see the successful emergence of a new class of corporations that are successfully using these things like first through brand and identity, but then tying it to physical and digital and expanding out either through partnership or joint ventureship or through expansion of products with the communities themselves. I'm not going to think of this is my I'm doing something in the computer world and then i'm like going back and i'm using (laughs) physical products those two things will become one not through like an embryonic oh here's a metaverse i have my pair of shoes but literally through like both things i do in the synthetic world and in the real world having like generative construct through economic ties and that's like that's like, if you're a brand or a company, I mean, that's just like, that's never been done in the history of the world. Like we did digitization, which meant now I have digital content. That's where the value accrues. And then I still have to do the stuff in the physical world, but moving atoms is tougher than moving electrons. Like now if I can do both, like the smart companies, like the world's your oyster, it's craziness. So that's super exciting.
1: Mm. I mean, having just come back from New York, seeing a brand like Doodles put on a physical experience, which people queued for like 10 hours to get into, and they're doing it on a level that only Apple and Microsoft and Google have been able to do, and innovating and creating that digital sale leading to physical experience, looping you back into, I now have an asset, because I was there, because I stood in the line. And what does that do for me in six months time is mind blowing and very exciting all at the same time. Now, and even for your traditional clients, if say you're
0: making an automobile, right? Like that limited edition automobile, having the NFT, which does that as well, like not only for a click or a class of people doing that, but like that actually gives me like a board. It gives me this different asset, like not just for experience, but it lets me participate in this other thing as well. Now I can, now I can design very different things. Like I can use the mm. physical purchase for the digital asset as well as the digital asset for the physical purchase. In some ways, that's that's a bit further out in our mental model, but it'll be a bit of a bigger unlock. Like, why do I want to pay, you know, the extra $10,000 for the premium edition of, you know, the sports car or whatever? Well, it also gives me this thing, which has not just rights and experiences, but that might even be related to a digital community in a different way that is tangentially related to that brand and like tied through like you know, community and brand, visual art, et cetera, et cetera. That gets, then all of a sudden it starts to get crazy in terms of I'm buying a car. How am I incentivizing people to do that? I run Super Bowl ads or, you know, soccer or football ads. Like, wait a second, I could actually use that budget to do this thing over here directly. Like it it opens up like craziness in terms of not just product development, but community construction space, Mm -hmm. not just for synthetic moving into the real, but for real moving into the synthetic, not in kind of a kludgy way, but in a strong community tied way.
1: I mean, thank you so much for your succinct summing up of a very complicated and confusing (laughs) This is fun. This is so great. It's better than like history of
0: money. There was dirt and shells and gold. This is what crypto is about. And just to sum it up, what you guys are doing is like you're right in the heart of it. It's asymmetric returns, not just in terms of spot trading, but the expertise you build by experimenting right now is like the best possible investment you can make.
1: Well, Josh, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure the audience will too. (laughs)
0: Likewise. I'm glad the power stayed on too. That's awesome. (laughs) We made it.
1: Hard stop. Yeah, we made it. And I mean, with that, thank you for listening and we'll catch all of you in the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening we believe sharing knowledge is an obligation so if you know someone who's building a brand or need some inspiration for their brand please share this with them this is our fourth season and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when a new episode is released even better leave a review and tell the world how much you enjoyed listening one more question is brought to you by the people of nice work We're on a mission to build purposeful Web3 brands that people care about. We're based in South Africa and serve the leaders of brave companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, work with us, or make a suggestion, please reach out at www.nicework.co.za. Bye-bye.